All right. So we're going to continue with the series we began last week called Plain Truth. As I told you, this is sort of a mini-series in the larger series we're doing called Follow Me. Follow Me is a journey to help us learn what Christ was like so that we can become more Christ-like, since that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, So we're diving into the book of Luke. We're seeing what Jesus was like, what he did, what he taught, how to be like him. But within the book of Luke, there's a few different sections that sort of lend themselves well to mini-series. This is one of them. Uh, It's often called Jesus' Sermon on the Plain because he gave a sermon to people while he was standing on the plain. So it's a real creative name, Sermon on the Plain. Uh, So I tried to take a little play on words there, and I've called this a mini-series Plain Truth. Plain Truth. We're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Last week, we looked a little bit about at Jesus's keys to happiness, right? And we saw that Jesus's keys to happiness uh, was not quite the same as what we would imagine happiness for ourselves because he takes what we expect and he sort of flips it on its head. Uh, he, and he shows us that the kingdom of God works just a little bit differently than we expect. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what I call reckless love, reckless love. Before we get into the text, though, I want you to just imagine for a moment, what is the most loving thing that someone could do for you? If, if, you, if someone could do something for you, and it would be the most loving thing in the world that somebody could do for you, what would that thing be? It might not be the same for everybody. If, you know, uh, it might be paying off your debts. It might be uh, any, any one of a particular number of things that someone could do but that would make you feel incredibly loved. What's the most loving thing someone could do for you? You got something in mind? Now I want you to imagine your greatest enemy. Who's your greatest enemy? Who has deeply wounded you? Who has deeply hurt you in the past? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an ex, an ex-spouse, an ex-lover, somebody who cheated and hurt you and wronged you. Maybe it's a, a child who um, just really disrespected you. Maybe it's a parent who was never there for you or who was abusive. Maybe it's a, a co-worker who blamed you for something that you didn't do and you had to take the uh, responsibility for it even though it wasn't your fault or... It's an overbearing boss, somebody who's just, you know, treated you very unfairly. Uh, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's an enemy of the United States. Maybe it's a member of ISIS. Who, who, who would you consider to be your greatest enemy? Who has deeply wounded you and hurt you in the past? Now, I want you to imagine performing your greatest act of love on your greatest enemy. Imagine performing your greatest act of love on your greatest enemy. Feels a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Feels a little awkward, a little icky. I want to tell you sort of a funny story. As I was putting together the sermon, I was typing some of it up on the computer, and I had typed out a couple of sentences. You know, imagine the greatest act of love I had typed up on the computer. What's the greatest thing someone could do for you? And then I got up for a few minutes. I think I went to the bathroom or something and came back. Uh, And when I came back... Following that sentence was two words. It said, back massage. My wife had snuck on the computer while I was away, and she had, uh, she had answered the question. It was, it was pretty clear. Um, so I said, it's pretty funny that you say that, because here's what I'm going to say next. I said, now imagine performing that greatest act of love on your greatest enemy, and she went, ooh. Um, You know, a a humorous illustration, but it's really true, right? When we think about performing the greatest act of love that we can think of for our greatest enemies, it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And yet here's what Jesus has to say about love in Luke chapter 6. We're starting in verse 27. 
But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Well, you know, I don't really have any enemies. Well, who's the person that's hurt you? Who's the person that annoys you? Who's the person, who's the group of people that you tend to want to dismiss? Who's the group of people that, you know, if you could push a button, make them disappear, you might push a button and make them disappear. Jesus says, love your enemies. But he doesn't stop here, and he goes on, and he's going to get so very specific that it's going to make us very, very uncomfortable. Because, we, you know, we're, we're pretty good at finding loopholes for ourselves as, as humans. We can come up with, with loopholes, and we can sort of explain everything away. We can say, oh, I, I love my enemies. Sure, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I love them. You know, uh, but, but we, you know, sometimes we can sort of define love in this ethereal, nebulous sort of way where, we, you know, there's no action. You know, it's sort of just something that I feel on the inside. But, but Jesus isn't going to let us off the hook that easily. He continues. He says, I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook by saying, oh, yeah, I have this feeling of love for my enemies on the inside. He says, no, 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 no. When I talk about loving your enemies, I'm talking about something very, very specific. To love your enemies is to do good to those who hate you. It's to bless those who curse you. It's to pray for those who mistreat you. For those of you who are grammar nerds out here, these are active verbs. Active verbs. Active verbs are things that we do. It's taking particular action. This is more than just some passive acceptance. This is more than just some passive resistance, letting things happen, just not, this is more than just non-retaliation. Jesus is not, he's not saying just don't retaliate. He's saying that's not enough. Non-retaliation isn't enough. I want you to take positive action towards your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Is there anybody who hates you? What would it look like to do good in that sense? To do good to somebody who hates you? To do good to that spouse who wronged you? To that parent who abandoned you? To that coworker who blamed you? To that overbearing boss? To that family member? What would it mean to do good to those who hate you? Bless those who curse you. What would it look like to bless the people who don't speak well of you? To bless the people who curse you? Pray for those who mistreat you. And when he says pray for those who mistreat you, he's not talking about the, the, psalm, the, you know, the prayers in Psalms where we pray that our enemies would be destroyed. That's not New Covenant type thinking. You know, when you read Psalms and you see David sometimes praying for the destruction of his enemies, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. In the New Covenant, New Covenant thinking, we don't pray for the destruction of our enemies. We pray for the healing of our enemies. We pray for the well-being of our enemies. We pray for the conversion of our enemies. We pray for the good of our enemies. And we don't just pray for it. We work towards it. We love our enemies. But Jesus, he, he's not even letting us off the hook just with this. He's not, he's, he's, he knows that we're so good at finding loopholes. He knows that we're so good at finding workarounds that we can figure out some way to explain this. So he goes even more uh, explicit, even more clear in terms of what he's saying. He moves on and he says, If someone slaps you on the cheek... What would you do if someone slapped you on the cheek? How would you respond if somebody walked up and slapped you on the cheek? <laughs> You've read ahead, sir. You've read ahead. I would be tempted to slap them back. 
My initial response, if, if I'm honest, would be, to, would be to slap him back or to punch him or to kick him or to knock him down or to, or to say some unkind words. That would be my initial response. That's, that's my human side. That's what I would want to do. Here's what Jesus says we ought to do. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. Hit me again. That's what Jesus says. Unless you think that Jesus was, you know, practicing something that he didn't preach. Jesus experienced this. Jesus practiced what he preached. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he was hit, he didn't hit back. When he was cursed, he didn't curse back. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. He goes on. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. If someone comes up and robs you of your coat, you're supposed to give them your shirt as well. Imagine this. Imagine you're walking down the street and somebody comes up and puts a gun up to you and says, give me your wallet. Jesus says, not only are you supposed to give them your wallet, give them your shoes too. What? Jesus, that's not very responsible. Jesus, that's going to encourage bad behavior. What do you Jesus, you don't understand the, the, the evil of some people. Jesus says, somebody breaks into your house and steals your TV, you will say, take the VCR, I, I can't use it now anyway. <laughs> if you're familiar, any, anybody ever read or watched or seen Les Miserables? The, the, the French, it was a French book, became a, a musical. Uh, in the story, uh, Jean Valjean, who's this convicted criminal who gets released, he, he ends up staying in the, the home of this religious leader, this priest. And this priest shows him this kindness. He gives him a place to stay. He gives him some food. And as he's leaving, he decides, Jean Valjean decides that he's going to repay the host for all of his kindness by stealing some of his very precious candlesticks. When he gets caught on his way out by the police and he gets caught with the candlesticks and they bring him back to the priest and they say, uh, he has these candlesticks. The priest says, oh yeah, oh, um, you also forgot to take, and I think it was the silverware. I'm not exactly sure what it was at the time, but he gives him more to take with him. He responded with this. And this act of kindness did something inside of Jean Valjean that changed him from the inside. This, this act of undeserved kindness did something to change him from the inside. Jesus says, if somebody takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Is that how you would react if you got mugged on the street? Would you offer them more than they're asking to take? Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says, give to everyone who asks you. Everyone? Jesus, have you been on Kirkwood? <laughs> everyone? Give to everyone who asks of you? But, but Jesus, what if they use it for drugs? Or what if they use it for alcohol? Or what if they don't buy the food that they say they're going to buy? Give to everyone who asks you. The other day, I was walking down Kirkwood, and I had been studying this. And I walked, and somebody asked me for something, and I kept walking. And as I got a few steps away, I went, gosh, because it's just, it's not my tendency. I, I, I'm still working on this. I still have that, you know, uh, you know, mentality of, oh, you know, you don't need to give to everyone. And as I was walking away, this really hit me in the gut, like, oh, my goodness, I've, I've just been reading this, and I, and I didn't do it. So lest you think that I'm up here preaching to you something that I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect at this either. So this, this is chewing at me as much as it may be chewing at you. I, I'm, I'm trying to get better. 
Give to everyone who asks you. This is radical Christ-like love. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. He goes on. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Let that sink in. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Phone's ringing. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And now don't let this be an excuse to discount everything Jesus has said. If you, Some people are going to say, oh, well, if I stole somebody's Code, I'd want them to demand it back from me. No, that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and then more as we're going to see. And here's why. He goes on to explain his reasoning. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. There's nothing special about loving the people who love you. That's just what normal human beings do. We love the people who love us. If we're a normal human being, we love the people who love us. There's nothing special. There's nothing radical. There's nothing particularly Christ-like about loving the people who love us. Everybody does that, Jesus says. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners do that. We all do good to the people who do good to us. That's just good human interaction, right? If you do good to me, I'll do good to you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. We got a little deal. It's reciprocal, right? That's, everybody does that. There's nothing particularly Christ-like. There's nothing particularly um, costly about that. Jesus goes on. He says, but love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. So here, Jesus has repeated what he said at the very beginning of this passage. Love your enemies, do good to them. So here's a little, a little clue for you in terms of preachers. If a preacher re repeats something that he said, it's because he wants you to remember it. It's because he thinks it's really important. So when Jesus repeats himself here by saying, love your enemies and do good a second time, it's because he really wants to make sure that his audience takes this to heart, that his audience does something with us. Then, Jesus says... Your reward will be great. Then, at that moment, when you love your enemies, when you do good to those who hurt you, your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. He... So here's the principle. Our love and mercy towards others is based on God's love and mercy toward us. Our love and mercy towards others is based on God's love and mercy towards us. Did God love us when we earned it? Did God love us when we deserved it, when we worked hard enough for it, when we were good enough to receive it? No. God loved us, Paul tells us in Romans 5, while we were enemies of God. While we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. He loved us when we didn't deserve it. 
He loved us when we were living in opposition to him, when we were very enemies of God. He loved us and he gave himself for us. This is the model of love that Jesus says we are to emulate as his followers. Why do we turn the other cheek? Why do we walk two extra miles? Why do we give them the coat when they ask? Why do we give them the shirt when they ask for the coat? Because we love them when they don't deserve it. Because we know, as followers of Jesus, that it's the unconditional, undeserved love and mercy of God that changed our lives. Because we know that when we didn't deserve it, when we were at our lowest, when we were living in rebellion to God, he loved us anyway. And it's the goodness of God, it's the kindness of God, it's the, it's the gentleness of God that Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that leads people to repentance. This kind of love has the power to change hearts. This kind of love has the power to change lives. Here's the bottom line. Jesus' love is reckless love. Jesus' love is reckless love. When you look at the kind of love that Jesus advocates, it's irresponsible love. Right? If we think about it from human standpoints, to, to turn the other cheek when somebody slaps you is irresponsible because you ought to defend yourself. You ought to stick up for yourself. To give them your shirt when they ask for your coat is irresponsible. It's reckless. It's, it, it's, you know, it's encouraging bad behavior. Jesus' love is reckless love. At least it looks like it from the outside. It looks irresponsible from the outside to give to those who, who are our enemies, to give to those who hate us. We're not going to find any return on investment on that. right? We're just, we're just giving it away. There's no return on investment. On that. It's reckless. It's irresponsible. And yet it's the exact kind of it's the exact same kind of reckless, irresponsible love that God had toward us when he so loved the world that he gave his only son. That while we were living in sin, in opposition, in rebellion to God, that he chose to take a risk on us by sending his son. To take a risk by giving his most precious of all things, his son, to give to us while we were still enemies. While we were still sinners. This is the kind of reckless, irresponsible love that God gave towards us. And it's the kind of reckless, irresponsible love that changed so many of our lives. The, the kind of reckless, irresponsible love that when we came to understand what God paid, the risk he took in giving his son, it changed our lives. Just like the story I told you earlier, where that kind of love, you probably know somebody like that. Somebody who received mercy that they didn't deserve and because of that it changed their life. This kind of undeserved mercy has the power to change lives. This kind of love is not weakness. This is not weakness. To love your enemy takes incredible strength, incredible courage, incredible fortitude. Anybody can fight back. Anybody can return a curse for a curse, a slap for a slap. That's easy. That's human nature. To, to stop. And to love somebody who doesn't love you, to love somebody who hates you, to love somebody who wants your harm or maybe even your death. Now that takes some courage. That takes some fortitude. That takes some spiritual power. This is not weakness. This kind of irresponsible, reckless love has the power to change the world. And I know, I know that it does because it did it once before. It did it once before. Once upon a time, there existed a version of our faith 
that changed the world because people were willing to love those who didn't love them, were willing to look in the eyes of their enemies and take whatever it was that they dealt out, knowing that that kind of love had the power to transform hearts and minds. Imagine if Christians really lived this way. Imagine if we really responded to those who hated us with this kind of reckless, irresponsible, active, self-sacrificial kind of love. Imagine if 16 years ago, when two planes crashed into the World Trade Center, and another plane crashed into the Pentagon, another plane crashed into the fields of Pennsylvania, if instead of responding with military might, leading us into what's now been nearly 16 years of war, if we had decided to turn the other cheek, would the world look a little differently today? If we decided that we weren't going to hit back when we got hit, if we decided that instead of dropping bombs, we were going to drop food. I mean, what might that have looked like? What if we had done something like that? What if instead of, you know, telling people that we're not going to bake cakes for a wedding that we don't agree with, we baked a cake with love and we prayed for them that God would show up in their lives? What if instead of people criticizing us for, you know, what it is that we believe, we brought them more clothes and we brought them more food and we visited them in the hospital and we gave them hugs instead of filing lawsuits? The early Christians lived this way and they changed the world. It's easy to love people who love us. That's easy. It's the easiest thing in the world to love somebody who loves us. But to love somebody who hates us, that takes some courage. That takes some strength. This kind of love really can change the world. It has. And it can again. Let me pray. Father, as we look at this passage, we admit that it sounds hard. It sounds really hard, God, to love those who love us because that's the last thing we want to do. God, it's the last thing that I want to do. And I went to school for this. But Father, it's the way that Jesus modeled. And it's the way that he said that those of us who have him living in our hearts can live. So, Father, help us to become this kind of people. Help us to be so committed to following the way of Christ that we would actually take this to heart, that we would actually put this into practice, that we would love those who hate us, that we would bless those who curse us, that we would pray for those who persecute us, Father, that those who take something from us, that we would give them even more. And Father, let this kind of love well up in us. Let it overflow from us because we know we know, God, that this kind of counterintuitive, reckless love can change the world. We know that it changed our hearts when you did it for us. 
We know that that kind of love, we didn't deserve it, and you loved us anyway, and it changed us. And we know it can change others. So give us the strength, God. Give us the courage. Give us the fortitude. Give us the spiritual power necessary to live this way, to carry it out. Help us to be a people characterized by your love, your radical, reckless, irresponsible love. When people see us, let them make fun of what we believe. But Father, let them say they're the most loving, gracious, kind, compassionate, generous people that I know. Father, help us to continue to become these kinds of Christians. I pray for this in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.